Welcome everybody, I'm Richard Krause coming to you from the relative calm oasis of Isolation Studios. Uh, like many of you listening, I am inside counting down the, I don't know, is it days, weeks, months, minutes, seconds, until we can safely go outside again, maybe touch our face, maybe touch the face of a loved one again. But for right now, don't touch anybody's face, wash your hands, be safe, and be healthy. With all the time that we're spending inside, you have to do something. And I've been finding it very difficult to really hunker down and get any serious work done, any real writing done, any of that kind of thing. So I thought that I'd have a shot at making some recommendations. I know a lot of people out there are trying just to fill the minutes until they can have a drink, go to sleep, get up again and fill some more minutes. So here are three movie ideas uh, that yeah, might help you pass the time. Now, inspired by his young daughter asking, Daddy, how come I don't have good hair? In the documentary, Good Hair, available on Amazon Prime Video, comedian Chris Rock uses gentle humor to examine the relationship African-American women have with their hair. He interviews everyone from actor Raven Simone to author Maya Angelou. They discuss weaves and relaxer, a potion used to straighten hair that several women refer to as creamy crack because of their dependence on the toxic bomb. I asked Chris Rock if he had ever relaxed his hair. I had my hair relaxed and it burned. It, I guess it, you know, it's just you don't think of it. Yeah, it's described in the movie like having your hair, your head set on fire. It, it does feel like having your head set on fire. <laughs> But you don't do it anymore, right? There's no, no, I stopped a long time ago. Yeah, and why did you stop? Uh, I stopped, weird thing, I stopped when I got Lethal Weapon. <laughs> and it was literally like, I got a million dollars. It was just like, it, that's not being rich. Right, yeah. <laughs> but to burn my scalp, like, this, I mean, it was just a hard, it's weird, I dreaded it with everything. And if I can't make money without doing this, then fuck it. <laughs> this is just, I'm just not going to make any money. It was, like, it was like my hair was in the closet. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> like a big secret. Good hair is all rather light and breezy and would be kind of inconsequential if Chris Rock and company hadn't broadened the film to examine how hair care in the African-American community became a billion dollar industry and why more of the businesses that feed this industry aren't black owned. There's something wrong, says Al Sharpton, who Rock calls the Dalai Lama of relaxer, when we can't control something as basic as the hair on our heads. Good hair works because it cleverly uses a study of African-American hair culture as a gateway to examine larger issues of race. It's also worth the price of admission, or the price of streaming, to watch Chris Rock talk hair with folks at a barber shop or hear Ice-T talking about getting a mugshot taken while wearing curlers. Next up, if you're sick of Iron Man, the Hulk, and all the other regular superheroes, head over to YouTube to rent or buy The Toxic Avenger, the self-described superhero black comedy splatter film from 1984. It's the story of Melvin from Tromaville, a town just off the New Jersey Turnpike, where a sign proudly welcomes you to the toxic capital of the world. A mop boy at the local health club, he's an underdog who's chased out a second-story window by bullies and into a vat of radioactive goo. 
When he emerges, he's no longer meek and mild Melvin. He's mutated into the green-skinned Toxic Avenger, local superhero determined to rid trauma of corruption, thuggish bullies who exploit the weak, and indifference. Underneath the Toxic Avengers' political incorrectness, nudity, shocking blood-stained head crushings, and the very of-its-time presentation is a story of eco-friendly heroism. New Jersey's first superhero isn't simply interested in revenge, he also wants Tromaville and the world to be a better, less polluted place for everyone. As the co-founder of Troma Entertainment, the world's longest continually running independent film company and the Toxic Avengers co-director, Lloyd Kaufman is a master of disruption and provocation. He's also a longtime anti-pollution activist. In this clip from an interview we did a few years ago, he talks about the Toxic Avengers beginning and where he is today. I'm really the monster hero you've heard about. And every day I go out and I mash people. I tear them apart and I can't stop. Well, originally, uh, in 1982, when uh, we started producing Toxic Avenger, the McDonald's st uh, styrofoam was not biodegradable. You know, you'd see those cups and, I mean, the people didn't talk about the environment. You know, they were, they were just getting into uh, health food and going to gyms, and that's what made it interesting because... I was getting all these uh, kind of fringe uh, underground newsletters about toxic waste dumps ticking away like time bombs all over the world and children playing in dumps uh, in Brazil, uh, Rio de Janeiro, playing with pixie dust. Children and the pixie dust was, was uh, uh, from x-ray machines that were being thrown away. It was, it was radium and, uh, you know, stuff like that. And uh, so that just seemed that while, the you know, the, everyone is trying to be beautiful and build up their bodies and eat uh, clean food and healthy food, the, uh, this big blue marble of ours is being totally polluted and defiled. And that just seemed to be, again, a, a kind of a yin and yang uh, uh, theme on which to base a movie. And that's kind of a lot of the heart of the original Toxic Avenger is, uh, is indeed, I mean, his, his weapon in the movie is a mob. Every year, millions of gallons of poisonous wastes, garbage and radioactive chemicals are disposed of in nearby towns such as Tromaville the toxic waste stuffing capital of the world. That mark has become kind of iconic as well. Oh, well, the yeah. Toxic Avenger is... Uh, it, uh, the uh, New York Times it uses him and uh, uses the Toxic Avenger in editorials about the environment. I mean, there's all sorts of... Uh, uh, it, it, the Toxic Avenger is, is definitely a big, big, big star worldwide. And it's interesting if someone could make, do an interesting paper sort of on tracking the, uh, the heavily promoted uh, mainstream ingenues and actors that began in 1983 with the Toxic Avenger, which had no advertising in 1983, and uh, you know how many of them are still around, and how many and Toxies, uh, is, is, if nothing else, bigger than ever. So Melvin, the monster hero, rid Tromaville of all of its evils, so the good citizens could live their lives in peace and happiness. Youth and Revolt, which you can rent through Cineplex or buy on Apple TV, breathes the same air as Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It's a film about the benefits of behaving badly, and like the famous 1986 John Hughes movie, it is headlined by an actor who brings charm and wit to the role of a rebel. In this 2009 film, hoodie heartthrob Michael Sarah plays 14-year-old Nick Twisp, a mild-mannered collection of raging hormones and quirky personality traits. He loves Sinatra and foreign films. When his family relocates to a Christian trailer park, he meets his dream girl. 
Sheenie Saunders, played by Portia Doubleday, a similarly anachronistic teenager with a taste for anything French and a dream of being swept off her feet by a bad boy named Francois. Now, Sarah has a corner on the awkward coming-of-age movie, or at least he did in 2009, and as Twisp, he doesn't do anything he didn't do in Juno or Superbad, but he's charming and really easy to watch. His work takes on a different dimension, however, when he slips into alter-ego mode. As the mustachioed Francois, he's a refugee from a Belmondo film equipped with a cigarette and two tight white trousers. It's not often that an actor gets to show his range playing two characters in one film, but this is a step forward for Sarah, who was locked into the wisecracking virgin stereotype since he left the small screen's arrested development, grew some peach fuzz, and started chasing girls on the big screen. It's not exactly his first adult role, but it does show what he can do, something other than act like a sweet and awkward teen while delivering funny lines with pitch-perfect timing. I love the voice of the character, and you know, it's nice when you're reading the book because you're reading his journals, so you're really tapping right into his mind, and it um, feels almost like you're, you're sort of feeling the thought process of the author of C.D. Payne, you know, and when you're reading any book, you're kind of getting a sense of what's going on in the author's head, right, in a very personal way. So um, I just connected with that, with the uh, thought process of the character and, and you know, the, the humor of the book just really connected with me. I really found it funny and, and the character I thought was real, you know, it was, he wrote it really personally. It felt, it felt like he was writing it in his own voice. He wasn't trying to sound like a 14 year old kid. He wasn't putting on any false naivete or anything or trying to sound less intelligent. He was just writing and it was personal and I think that's when people connect to things when they're when they feel personal. The supporting cast made up of reliable old pros like Gene Smart, M. Emmett Walsh, Fred Willard and Steve Buscemi do good work but the movie wouldn't work at all if Sheenie wasn't the kind of person worth throwing your life away for. But in the excellently named Portia Doubleday, Youth in Revolt found a newcomer with charisma to burn Youth in Revolt is a funny, delightful movie, but its main strengths are its actors, Sarah, who expanded his range, and Doubleday, who debuted hers. There's so many characters, and they're really developed, so um, I think that that was hard, and, and Miguel, um, I think, cast it really well. He caught the essence of a number of characters in this movie that kind of give it, I think that's also what kind of makes it really um, original and quirky, um, not your just original, not your type of same team kind of movie. There's a bunch of characters that are being introduced throughout the film that you don't expect. There's just so many really odd moments that you're not expecting, whereas in a typical teen movie you kind of know what the plot might be like. Um, so I think it makes this film really, really, really awesome. <laughs> no, so you like this movie? Yeah, uh, I liked it. <laughs> That was Portia Doubleday talking about how much she loves her own movie, Youth in Revolt. I think you'll like it too. So those are three recommendations. You can find them wherever you find streaming movies. I gave you a little hints all the way through the podcast. Uh, check them out. Tune back in another time. We'll have some more recommendations. We'll get through this together one movie at a time. One binge-worthy, not cringe-worthy movie at a time. I'm Richard Krause. Thanks for listening.